Alan Young, would you uh, would you come over here for just a minute? This is uh, Dr. Alan Young, and uh, I, I know. Uh, but uh, th- these guys that that stand up here week by week and lead us to be the 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 choir and uh, lead us to sing praises to God, uh, to God. Sometimes they just go as unsung heroes, and Alan's one of those guys. For the last 10 years, Alan and Aaron and his two boys, their two boys, have been a part of our church, and he's played in the uh, the band. He's played, I know, acoustic guitar. He was playing that today, and electric guitar, uh, electric bass, stand-up bass. Okay, help me out now. Saxophone? Okay, did saxophone. Anything else that I'm leaving out? Okay, all right. Uh, but uh, he's, he's being transferred. He's uh, going to a new teaching position in Olathe, Kansas. And uh, this is their last Sunday with us. So, Aaron, are you back there somewhere? Just, uh, do you, okay, okay. Oh, we're going to pray for him. And we're going to pray for our getting ready for everything uh, that we do. But uh, Alan and Aaron and, and Jacob and Jonathan have been a part of us. And, um, and they're going out. We're going to send them out to missionaries to Kansas. Eric Schrock. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's pray for them. Then we'll read the word. Father, we thank you and praise you that you're a good God. You gave us Jesus Christ. We've been singing about that today. But you give us good friendships and relationships. And Lord, Alan and Aaron have been among those, and we thank you for them. Thank you that they are, are, are those who just stepped out and got involved. And Lord, we, uh, we love them for that. But now you've, you've, you're moving them on, and we pray that as they go, you would go before them. Uh, Lord, in the teaching position that you have for him there, that uh, you would bless and anoint him. He's going to be working with college students going into the ministry. And Lord, this is, this is just tailor-made for him. So while we will miss them, uh, Lord, we thank you for the great opportunity that you're giving to both of them. We pray for all of the activities that are coming up. We pray for Awana. As it gets started, we pray for our student ministry, for all of the other ministries that are kicking off this Wednesday night. Lord, for Novo, for WizKids, uh, for for all of the things that go on in this church, we ask you to bless those and anoint those so that the gospel might be put into the lives of children. We thank you and we praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. All right, take your Bibles and uh, turn to James chapter 5. If you would, James chapter 5, I'll ask you to stand as we uh, together read the last couple of verses in James. And uh, then we'll be seated and we'll go through a study of this. This will be, uh, as you notice, it didn't say this on the worship guide, but as I began to go through this and study it this week um, and uh, realized that there was just way too much in this this passage of Scripture to, to handle in one day, particularly when we're taking the Lord's Supper. So to get it, give it adequate um, uh, emphasis and focus, we're going to come back next week, the Lord willing, and finish this up. We're going to basically go through the, the, the first two points today. So listen to it well. It is a great admonition from James to the church, the church's ministry of spiritual restoration. Chapter 5, James Verse 19, my brothers, 
if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word. You may be seated. I love search and rescue stories, and I was thinking about that this morning, and maybe the reason, do you guys like search and rescue stories, movies? But, but I, I was thinking about that. A lot of the good movies have some kind of a theme of search and rescue, and I, I, I just wondered if, if God somehow hardwired us to love stories of search and rescue. I saw a movie, a um, secular movie, several years ago, but it was it was great. It was based on a true story uh, and, and stuck fairly close to the story. This story happened back in 1952 off of the coast of Cape Cod. It was a story about the Coast Guard and on a, an incredibly horrible night of weather. A nor'easter had blown in. There was a tanker offshore that literally ripped in two. 32 crew members, and this guy, this Coast Guard guy, against all odds, he was new to the area, takes a ship. By the way, I I think it's a great movie. It's called The Finest Hours. And some of the people said, this is a suicide mission. You're going to die if you go out there. And against all odds, he took four, three other crewmen. So there were four crewmen in all. They went out in a boat that was built to hold 17 people, and they rescued all 32 and brought them back in. Now, one of the greatest parts of the story, I'm sorry if you get the movie and watch it, this is a spoiler. As they are coming back in, it was tough enough to get out because there was a a, a reef there, but they're coming back in. The power in the town goes out. How are they going to find their way back? Boy, you talk about about a picture of what James is talking about here, about the whole church, everyone in here being a part of the ministry of restoration. They got their cars and they went to the edge of the cliff and they turned on their headlights and guided that boat back and everyone was saved. So here's James ending his book with a sober warning and a plea to the church. It's a compassionate and a passionate plea. There are three things you see in your outline. We're going to hit the first two, and we're not even going to get except just to brush the surface of those two. We're going to talk about the reality today, the reality that all of us know that is in the church, in this church that there are those who profess faith in Christ who wander away from the truth. And then we're going to talk about the responsibility that all of us have, that each one of us has, every true believer, to share in the ministry of Jesus on a spiritual search and rescue mission. Next week, Lord willing, we'll come back and we'll review these and then we'll hit the rewards 
in verse 20 of what God has for us, both the restored and the restorer. So let's look first of all at the reality. The reality is this, and James says it right here, professing Christians, and I'm using my words very carefully, professing Christians can wander away from the truth. Now, there are several ways to look at this verse, and I want you to look at it again, the first part of it. My brothers, James has used that, that, that word of endure, endearment all the way through. He's speaking to brothers and sisters in the church. And so here he uses it again, but I want you to notice he doesn't say if any one of you, brothers or sisters, wanders away from the truth. I say that because there are those commentators who believe that he's talking about Christians who can wander away and need to be restored. We'll look at that in just a second. That could be, but I think this is a picture of what James has been talking about throughout the entire book when he has been warning over and over and over again. And here's what he says, my brothers, if anyone among you, anyone in the visible church who is a professing Christian, follower of Christ, if any one of those people wonders from you. And so I take this to mean that he's probably not talking about a brother who has been overtaken in a sin. We know what to do with a brother who's been overtaken in a sin. Now, by the way, this is also a part of the, the search and rescue mission, right? Okay? That the church needs to have. And we're going to be talking about this this week and next week, and it's going to set us up for an entire uh, month in our ABF classes, our adult Bible fellowship classes, to talk about this very thing. Discipleship means that we go and we get people and that we are locked into relationship, the kind of relationship where we can do that. So what do we do? Paul has already talked about this. Brothers, if anyone, any one of you is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, we mentioned this last week. How many of you are spiritual in this room today? Now, I I know you're reluctant to raise your hand. I see this kind of halfway. That's a semi-charismatic who does that, okay? Just (laughs) go ahead and get them up, all right? If you are born again, then by definition, you are in the Spirit and you... You are spiritual. You should be walking in the Spirit. So he's appealing to those of us who are true believers and who are seeking to live out the fruit of the Spirit. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And there's something you need to do as you restore. By the way, I'll say this again. The the ministry of restoration can be messy. So keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. But that's not what he is talking about. Now, I want you to hear James again. This is so consistent in the book of James. I want you to hear James' heart, because there are people who look at the book of James, and they think he is, what's the word, Uh, strident. They think all James is is just kind of a picky guy. Listen, James is compassionate. You see James' heart in this 
these two verses of Scripture that he is finally, at the end of his book, he's reaching out to people in the church who think they are Christians and they are not. And if you go back over, you, you, you're still open. you got your Bibles open right there. Go back a little bit to James chapter 2. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but remember in about 14 through looks like 26, he, he, he does, he builds this, this whole scenario of people. This is chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. He says, what good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Later on, he says that kind of faith is useless. And he wraps it up in verse 26 by saying, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James wants to warn. This is a loving warning of people in the visible church. Let me bring that closer. People in Heritage Baptist Church. Members, regular attenders, who believe that you are a Christian, but you are not. James wasn't the only one who said this. This is consistent with what Jesus said. He, he, he talked so much about these kinds of things. In, in Matthew 7, he talked about the tree being known for its fruit. A good tree produces what kind of fruit? Good fruit. A bad tree produces, a diseased tree produces what? Bad fruit. In the non-fruit-bearing tree, Jesus was Jesus mean when he said this? He was the most loving person in the world when he said this. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. And he goes on to say, you will recognize them by their fruits. And, and then we know a little bit later on in the same chapter, Matthew 7, that Jesus said these words to a group of religious people. Do you hear James' heart? Do you hear God's heart in this? I can say to you, God is not willing or wishing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. And so he gives these loving, straightforward kinds of warnings. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, to me. This includes people like me, the preachers, who do all of these bigger things, I guess, some people would say, than average Christians and the Lord will say, look, there's a problem here. You did all of these things. You might have been involved in programs in your church, but I, I never knew you. There was never that relationship through Jesus Christ that I so wanted to have with you. And I will say to you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I have said this before and I will say it again. It is a sad and a tragic thing when a person dies without Christ. Whenever I talk to people and they, they share a, a friend, I had this happen this morning, they share about a friend who is ill and at the point of death. What's, if, if you're a believer, what's the question you always ask? Does your friend know Jesus? 
And what a tragic thing it, it, it is for anybody to die without Jesus. But it is doubly, it is triply, it is infinitely more tragic if a person has sat under gospel preaching in a local church, has sat under the Word of God, has read the Word of God, and yet has never bowed his or her will, young or old, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how tragic it will be when a churchgoer stands before the Lord and he says, Depart, I, I never knew you. I, I think the devil rejoices when someone dies without Jesus, but I think he turns backflips when he can deceive a person to think that he or she is a Christian and go eternally into a place apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's why these warnings are all through Scripture. Here's another one in Hebrews chapter 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be any in you, among you, with an evil, unbelieving heart. L look at some of the concept here. There will be some people in, ev in every church, and I hope this is minimal in this church, but an evil, unbelieving heart. Sometimes that's not outwardly obvious. Leading you to fall away from the living God. This is exactly the kind of exhortation that James is giving in the last two verses of the book of James. But exhort one another. Now, let me just stop here and parenthetically say, and I'm pointing ahead to the series in ABF and some of what I'll be saying this next week. How do you exhort one another when all you do is come in, and I'm not talking to all of you, but some to, who just come in and sit and then leave without ever developing a relationship with each other. And that's why it's so vital. And it is hard. We were just talking about this. Jim and, and, and Rocky were talking about this in our last uh, uh, class of the teacher training before we enter into a new year. This is not easy. This is not easy for any of us. But we can only exhort if we have that relationship, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Look at some of those words, some of those concepts. An evil, unbelieving heart, disobedient, going astray, deceitfulness of sin. And I think what Jesus said about the parable of the sower. Do you remember that? We, we did a sermon series on, on the parables, and in that we did a parable, the parable of the sower, and you remember there, there, were, there were four basic soils. Three of those were lost, represented lost people. There was the hard-hearted person, didn't receive the word at all, but then there, there were the, the two middle ones that are descriptive. Jesus, and by the way, Jesus said, if you do not understand this parable about the kingdom, you can't understand anything about the kingdom because this has to do with salvation. And there are those, you have seen them. You've seen them in this church. You've seen them in your own life. You've seen them in your family who received the word with great joy. They immediately just took off 
180-degree turnaround in their life, and they were here every time the doors were open, and they were studying the Bible, and, and then before you knew it, they were gone, never to return again. You know, it's interesting, the same sun on that last fruit-bearing person, the same sun rises on all of these soils. The sun does nothing but prove the reality of what's in the heart. What makes that that person who, who is filled with joy all of a sudden? Luke says he believes for a while. That's an interesting statement. But the sun, it says, temptation, persecution, affliction. Hmm. And he is no more. And then the, the one that I think is, is the most troubling is that third soil, the thorny soil here. The sun comes up, looks like he's a fruit bearing. This is a person who has a little bit of staying power. At least he's a part of a, a visible assembly of believers. And yet the care, listen to this, the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in and choke the life out of that person. Sometimes we blame the sun. We blame those things. Folks, the sun didn't do anything but prove what the condition of the heart is. Please, please, please hear me on this. Am I saying that a true believer in Jesus Christ can lose his or her salvation? Are you sure I'm not saying that? Well, you know me, Ed. But there may be somebody who's new here today, I mean, well, gosh, is that preacher saying we can lose our salvation? The, the first, a, after being a youth pastor, the first sermon, I think I've shared this, that I preached when I went in view of a call to the first church I ever pastored, I preached out of John six thirty seven, and I made a statement in the body of that sermon where I said this, the teaching that is common in Baptist churches of once saved, always saved, is a teaching straight out of the pit of hell that will lead untold millions to an eternity without Christ. Now, I added something to that. I said, as commonly taught. Well, you can guess that that afternoon the deacons had a meeting with me. (laughs) Pastor, I, you know, we thought from everything that you wrote, you believed in eternal security and I said I absolutely do I believe in the perseverance of the saints and the preservation of the saints we persevere because God preserves us but this teaching that is so common in our in our circles and in so many evangelical circles today that I can make a profession of faith and then my life is not converted And I go out and live any way I want to, including non-fruit bearing, and go to heaven? Folks, that is a dangerous and a deadly teaching. So 
again, let me allay some of your fears if you think that I'm teaching that you can lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. I'm going to give you three reasons, all right? Yes, this is a part of the sermon. That I, I just needed to say it. I probably won't say it next week, but you need this. Can you lose your salvation? Not if your salvation is all from God. Hopefully in the days ahead, we're going to be talking a little bit more about this. Salvation is from the Lord. Did you save yourself or did God save you? Okay, if he saved you, then you can't lose it. Okay, because it's from him. Second thing, can you lose your salvation? No, not if it's God who keeps you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give to them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one is going to take them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That means you. That means Satan. No one. So you can't lose your salvation unless the Father doesn't have you in his hand. Can you lose your salvation? Not if it's God who finishes what he started. When I started really following the Lord after a period of rebellion in my life, as a teenager, this is one of the verses that really, it resonated with me. And I am confident of this, the Apostle Paul says, that he who began the good work in you will complete it or perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You are welcome, Ed. And I tell you, these things are, are foundational to us. And if you are one of those who believes, you know, I, I have a friend, he lost his salvation, folks. Just let me say it like this. He never had it in the first place. It's tragic. It's heartbreaking when someone wanders away from, now what, what does it say? Wanders away from what? What does it say here? What does James say? We're back in James 5, 19. Wonders away from what? The Baptist faith and message? Well, we, we hope that, that's, that that is truth, but wonders away from the truth. And again, we're going to spend some time in the future, in the next couple of months, on this concept. That word wonders, it's a, it's, it's a neat word. You know how sometimes you'll go to the, the Greek word and you'll say, wow, that is a cognate. When, when, they tr when they took that word and put it into the English word, it is the word from which we get our word planet. And that's the word that he uses. The one who wanders away from the truth. You look up and it seems like the stars are just up, up there wandering around in the middle of nowhere. That's the concept. When somebody leaves the truth, departs from the truth, and wanders away from it. Wanders away from the church. Wanders away from relationships. But ultimately, he's wondering or she's wandering away from the truth. Now, again, this is, I, I just only mentioned this. It's a doctrinal thing and it's a moral thing. I don't know which comes first. I've seen some people wander away from truth. They begin to listen to deceitful teachings and lies. And then before long, it, it always go hand, goes hand in hand. And the Jews, that's the way they would see it. 
If you wander away doctrinally, students or adults, eventually it's going to get you morally. But I've seen a lot more, I think, wander away morally, and they know that, they know that if they keep coming to church, they're going to hear the, 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 the teaching that they need to pursue a holy life by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, but that frustrates them. So what are they going to do in order to carry out the lack of moral living that they're doing, they're going to find new doctrine, new teaching that will support them in their immoral living. Let me just say this about people who've fallen away. I, Josh Harris, I mentioned him a couple of weeks ago. Seems like some guys, some people just get, they get all depressed. Josh Harris wrote, I kissed dating goodbye. And so there were a couple of articles that came out, blog posts and all the rest. He kissed Christianity goodbye. Kissed his wife goodbye, divorcing her, all of that. Listen, folks, if, if Josh Harris is a genuine Christian, then God will deal with him. And I think according to this passage right here, may or, or in other passages, either, I said this a few weeks ago, either bring him back or take him home early. So what is it? Is, is Josh Harris lost or saved? You know, that's really not for us to figure out. It's really not. And there are people in your lives, there, there have been people in my life, family members I'm talking about, that I still pray for in my family that I, I don't know. Are they saved? Are they not? That's really not the issue. And James basically says that's not the issue. So let's go on to the second thing that is the issue. Oh, by the way, let me just throw this up here. Paul had his disappointments too. He had a good friend that tubed it. Paul did. Demas, I mean, he, he was one of the guys that worked with him, a co-workers. And, and look at this. Doesn't this sound like what James is saying? Doesn't this sound like what Jesus warned against? The third soil here, the thorny soil here. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. That's why I watch it. I, I, was think, I, would, I was so thinking of the students when I, when, when I was looking at Psalm 1 this morning. I didn't have it in, in my original notes, but I thought, I'm going to put this in here because it happens. There, there's this, this progress that happens, and it happens with all of us. Those of us who are older, we know that we, we've done this before, but if you've never done this or if you've never seen it done, watch this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That person is still walking. But people are coming up to him. They're giving him wrong counsel, the counsel of the wicked. And boy, it is deadly when you stop to listen. Hmm. Or stands in the way of sinners. And then finally, you get to that place where you're entrenched. You just sit in the seat of scoffers. So what's a church to do? What do we do, Heritage? That's the problem that, that James is trying to get at. And we're just going to introduce this and... We're going to do the Lord's Supper together in just a moment. That's the reality. I, I hope you caught that. I hope I expressed it clearly. So, what's the responsibility? 
The ministry of spiritual restoration is for every believer. My brothers, if any among you wander away from the truth and someone brings him back, who's the someone? Okay, I I knew I wouldn't have it, but I wrote down here, I thought, I wonder if anybody, they won't say it, but I wonder if they're thinking, you are, Pastor. You're the someone. Go get them. Yay, amen. You. Students, don't use the crutch of youth. You are part of God's search and rescue team. Young adults, older adults, really old adults. I am not kidding. Sometimes we we think we get to a certain age, we're no longer a part of God's search and rescue team. Every Christian in this room today is a part of God's search and rescue team. It includes pastors and elders, but it's not limited to them. One of the greatest teachings, there were a lot of things that came out of the Reformation that were so good, like the solas, and and, and reaffirming some of these things. We're going to be coming to look at that in several weeks, and I can't wait. But one of the greatest things that came out of the Reformation, and it just exploded this teaching that there was a secular and a sacred, that there was the laity and there was the clergy. And that thing that came out of the Reformation was called the priesthood of the believer. Now, we have kind of turned that around a little bit. It's all about us. It's all the privilege. It's also the responsibility that every one of you shares in that priesthood and has an incredible responsibility. Could I remind you, we went through the book of Ephesians several years back, and when we got to chapter 4, we, we hunkered down on this. And he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers, the pastors and the teachers, to do what? Equip the saints so that the saints do the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Searching is required because those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ and now are pursuing a life of sin, seldom stay with the flock. So what do you do? You go after them. You look for them. I just have to confess that I've not always done a good job at that. But but here is something as I've studied this and the scriptures speak to me to to recommit myself to, to, to be better at searching. But here's the thing. If you see someone who is not showing up for a couple of weeks, don't wait until Sunday or a couple of Sundays and gone by and then come to me and say, well, I I haven't seen so-and-so in a couple of weeks. One of the best things you could do is to pick up the phone, send an email, send a text, 
haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Is everything okay? There are times when you, you may not feel sufficient to, to do that. Get another brother or get another sister. And then after you've found out what is wrong, and, and that's always hard to do. Like I said, it can be messy. Then after you've searched, then you go into the process of rescuing because they might be blinded by the deceitfulness of sin. They might be confused by the enemy. And I'll tell you something else that they might be that's also brought on by themselves and by the enemy. They might be ashamed. I can't, I can't go back there. These people know what I've done. Folks, this is an environment in which we need to receive those. They need you. They need you to tell them, not it's okay, they need to tell you to tell them that if they confess and repent, return to God, that God forgives and He restores. That's why I love that opening story that I told. Because it looked like it was that one guy that led the crew out, the three other guys, four of them went out, and they were the heroes. Everybody in that town was a hero that night because everybody did something. Now, let me let you in on a secret that you already know, the greatest search and rescue story is not that we were sinking out to sea. Folks, we had sunk While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made you alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because of what Jesus Christ has done on Calvary's cross by shedding His blood. I'd like the men to go to their stations and some will come up, some will go back. And as you're coming up, let me just explain how we do the Lord's Supper here at Heritage. We invite everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ to partake of the Lord's Supper. You'll see in a few moments when we pass out the elements, you'll get two cups, one with a wafer and one with the juice. And we'll take first the bread and then the cup with the juice. But again, we invite you. Now, we know that if you're here from another faith tradition and you don't feel comfortable, that's okay. Let the tray go by. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you today to be a part of our family because you're a part of the universal church. And to recognize what Jesus Christ has done for you when he shed his blood, when his body was broken for you. going to pray then we're going to distribute the elements and if you'll wait until I guide you in to do that then we'll do that together father I thank you for this time that we have this time that we've had to sing praises to you to look at your word and now to come to the table where we remember until you come back we will remember what what, what you have done and so we ask you to bless now 
us as we take the, the symbol of the broken body of Christ, of the shed blood of Christ, and we remember the gospel all over again. So we thank you, Lord. Pray that you would help us now. I make this prayer in the name of Jesus, our risen Savior. Amen.